So yes, that's right. We were uh, in Philemon last week, and Pastor Sam asked me to preach two sermons, and I couldn't figure out what to preach for the second one, so I'm just going <laughs> to preach the same sermon again. Uh, that's not true, actually. But hopefully you don't feel that way for you. Um, let's let's uh, read God's Word. This is uh, the letter to Philemon. This, this, these are the words of the book. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective with full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to you, to say nothing of your owing me even your own self. Now, yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. And at the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. Grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. You may be seated. Uh, let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we ask for your mercy now as we come to your word. And we pray that through your word, you would reveal to us more of the salvation that we have in your Son, Jesus. And we thank you for this uh, gift of the gospel. And we pray that as we discuss this letter to Philemon, you would open our hearts to how we are to apply these words to our own lives. Please bless us, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> So, uh, for the second week in a row, we are in the letter to Philemon. 
And uh, last week we took a pretty close contents, uh, uh, pretty co close look at the overall contents of the letter. And so for those of you who either weren't here or, or just for us to review, uh, let's summarize it a little. Uh, this letter, we found, was written by Paul while he was in prison. Most say he was either in prison in Rome or Ephesus. And the bulk of it is addressed primarily to Philemon. He was the head of a relatively well-to-do family. And we find in the first couple of verses that apparently the church met in his house. And so we know that at the very least, you know, he had a big enough space where the church could meet. Um, in verses 4 to 7, we see Paul expressing his joy and thankfulness because he's heard all that Philemon has done for Christ and his church. But Paul also hints that the fellowship or the sharing of Philemon's faith should be even more effective for knowing all the good things that are in Christ. Now, the reason for this, the reason that Paul is framing the letter in this way is that um, he's about to appeal on behalf of a man named Onesimus. Now, Onesimus is a runaway slave who belonged to Philemon. And somehow, after running away, uh, he ended up with Paul. And Paul led him to faith in Jesus Christ. And that's why Paul calls Onesimus his child. And Onesimus somehow made it to where Paul was imprisoned. And perhaps while he was counseling him, Paul led Onesimus to Christ. Now, uh, Paul wanted to keep Onesimus around to help him in his imprisonment. Most likely, Paul was under house arrest, and so you know, he still needed somebody to help with his daily needs, and uh, it seems like Onesimus was uh, doing that. However, Paul also knows that Onesimus is gone without Philemon's permission. And more than that, he wants Philemon and Onesimus to be reconciled. Not merely as master and slave, but as brothers in Christ. <coughs> and so therefore, Paul says he is sending Onesimus back to Philemon. And probably this letter was delivered by Onesimus to his master Philemon. He wants Philemon to receive Onesimus as he would receive Paul himself. And we see that in verse 17. Now, Paul even promises to pay back any damages that Onesimus might owe to Philemon. And um, some actually uh, wonder if Paul really wanted Philemon to send Onesimus back so that he could help Paul in his uh, imprisonment. And uh, the reason for that is that in verse 20, Paul says, Yes, brother, I want some benefit for you from you in the Lord. And this is actually a pun on Onesimus' name, because the name Onesimus just means beneficial. Okay, so um, Paul was appealing for Onesimus. He was asking Philemon to forgive him, at the very least. Uh, possibly he was even asking Philemon to send Onesimus back. 
but you know whether Paul wants Philemon to send Onesimus back, whether he wants him to some to say maybe he give him this freedom, or something else. The point is this: Paul wants Philemon to receive Onesimus not as just a slave, but as a brother, as a brother in Christ. And then, of course, this would totally change how Philemon would treat and act towards Onesimus. And even though this is a big request, Paul is confident that Philemon will do this and even more. See this in verse 21. The letter ends with Paul expressing hope that Philemon's prayers will lead to his release from Paul's in prison. And uh, Paul even looks forward to being able to visit Philemon shortly. So he even asked Philemon to prepare uh, a guest room for him. So um, in, in last week's message, we consider this letter primarily from the perspective of Philemon. And that is, we ask, you know, what was Paul trying to say to Philemon? What was he trying to teach him? And what can we learn from that? And I'm sure there's a lot more that we could say about how we ought to be more like Philemon. Uh, but it's also fruitful to look at this letter from another perspective. And I'm referring to the perspective of Onesimus. Um, in his preface to Philemon, uh, Martin Luther wrote that we are all Onesimus if we consider how Christ has appealed to the Father on our behalf. So uh, for, di- for today, I'd like to follow Luther's lead and ask, what does this letter look like from Onesimus' eyes? And how does that reveal the gospel to us? Let's start by uh, considering Onesimus' situation before he met Paul. Yeah, after running away from Philemon and before he met now, the Bible doesn't say how or why Onesimus was separated from Philemon, and so you know, we should try to avoid speculating. But there are a few things that we can say. So if you take a look at verse 18, and you see that Paul says that he will pay back whatever damages were caused by Onesimus, if there were any. Now, it would not be uncommon at that time for a runaway slave to... Know, swipe some goods to help them on their journey after they left the master to wherever they were going. And probably, it wouldn't have been very tactful for Paul to mention this unless he knew that Onesimus really had stolen some goods. See, otherwise, by mentioning this, Paul might have raised Philemon's suspicions, and certainly that wouldn't have helped Onesimus' cause. And so because of this, many commentaries say that Onesimus probably did steal some goods when he ran away from Philemon, and Paul probably knew about it. At the very least, then, we can say that when Philemon and Onesimus were separated, they weren't on good terms. And Onesimus especially was in a precarious position. After all, he was... A slave. As a slave, he didn't have any legal status in ancient Rome. 
was at the bottom of the social ladder. Didn't have any protections. Um, you know, we don't know if Philemon was actively trying to seek out Onesimus, but, you know, in the Roman Empire, there are entire professions dedicated to capturing runaway slaves and uh, returning them to the masters for profit. So there probably weren't many places that Onesimus could go. Maybe that's how he ended up seeking out the Apostle Paul. He was probably alone and without any real way forward. More than that, Onesimus was also alienated from God. Before meeting Paul, Onesimus was not a Christian. Now it's possible that he had heard the gospel, given that Philemon himself was a believer, and Philemon was a friend of Paul. Uh, but Paul makes it clear that it was not until after Onesimus came to him that he became a believer. And so, Onesimus was lost both physically and spiritually. He was alienated from others. He was alienated from his master and his household. And he was also alienated from God. His situation before he met Paul illustrates what the Bible says about our lives apart from Christ. See, apart from Christ, we are separated from God. We are slaves to sin. Uh, listen to what Paul says in Titus chapter 3. He says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. The Bible describes our condition of sin as a state of being in death, spiritual death. This is not just true at the individual level, it's also true at the societal level. And notice from Titus how sin does not just separate us from God, it also separates us from one another. And the natural state of sinful man is to hate others and to be hated by one another. You know, it's sometimes thought that society would be more free if we could just throw off the shackles of Christianity. But that's not true. If we aren't serving the one true God, then necessarily we are slaves to some other God or gods. We are slaves to our own passions and lusts. Jonathan Edwards has said that if um, there's any Christian doctrine that can be proved from human experience, sin is it. We all experience sin. It's universal. And we've all experienced how sin separates us from each other and from God. For example, if I hate someone, or if I'm angry at them, I won't want to be reconciled to them. I won't want to see them or talk to them or hear about them. And at the same time, I won't want to listen to God either because God tells me to love my enemy is the very opposite of what I want to do. So you might feel a sense of satisfaction while you're harboring a grudge. And you might feel relief when you are venting your anger. But that's not freedom. That's to be caught in the grip of sin. It's to be a slave of sinful desires. 
So sin enslaves, sin isolates. And in Ephesians 2.12, Paul writes, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Without Christ, we are separated. We are aliens to the community of God, and we are without hope. Maybe Onesimus felt something like that as he wandered through the streets of Rome or Ephesus, wondering what to do next. Perhaps he felt hopeless. Perhaps he felt lost. Perhaps he felt like a stranger with nowhere to go. Perhaps he felt that way. Well, some of you might feel that when you go to school. You might feel that at work. Of course, that's not the end of the story. After running away from Philemon, Onesimus doesn't just disappear into history, never to be heard of again. Instead, somehow, and you know how, despite God's grace and sovereignty, Onesimus ends up in the company of Paul. Paul the Apostle. Paul the former Pharisee who has been imprisoned for the preaching of the gospel of Christ. And Paul leads Onesimus to faith in Jesus. And this is where we see the gospel transform Onesimus' life. This is where we see how Onesimus goes from being a runaway slave to becoming a beloved brother. From someone who is a stranger to someone who is in fellowship with God and with his people. And the first step to his journey back into fellowship is that he becomes a Christian. And notice the language that Paul uses. He doesn't say, oh, well, Onesimus has found religion. Or Onesimus has acquired a new set of beliefs about God and the nature of reality. You see, the gospel isn't an accessory that you add to your life. It's not like saying, you know, well, I'm a Niners fan, I like chocolate ice cream, and oh, by the way, I'm also a Christian. You see, the gospel is bigger than that. It's not just another thing that you add to your life. It's an altogether new way of life. It's a new way of being human. The gospel does something to us. It, it transforms us. It is good news about how God has redeemed us from the kingdom of darkness and given us a new home in his own kingdom and in his own family. And this is why Paul uses words like child or beloved brother to describe the fact that Onesimus has become a Christian. In verse 15, that's what Paul tells Philemon. This is why, maybe this is why Onesimus was separated you from a little while, for a little while. So that you can have him back, not, not as a slave, but as a beloved brother. Onesimus has been quite literally born again, not merely into a human family, but into the family and household of God. Once a slave, Onesimus is now a member of a family. Once alienated, he now truly belongs to others, not as a slave, but as a child, as a, a brother, as a son. So we see that he who was once separated is now a child of God and a 
brother among the saints in Christ's church. And in fact, um, Philemon is not the only letter where Paul talks about Onesimus in this way. In Colossians 4.9, Paul refers to an Onesimus whom he calls our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. And so evidently the church that met at Philemon's home was none other than the church of Colossae. And by the time that Paul wrote Colossians, Onesimus was known for being a faithful and beloved brother. And so we see this change in Onesimus' life. He's become a Christian. He's now uh, part of of this new family in Christ. And we saw last week how you know, Onesimus made himself useful by serving Paul. But there is a further transformation that happens to Onesimus. And we see this in the fact that Paul convinces Onesimus to return to Philemon. Verse 12, Paul says, I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. Who, who, who is Paul's very heart? Well, it's Onesimus. He's sending the slave back to the master. Now, it's actually quite remarkable, I think, that Onesimus would do this. Right? Although he is now a Christian, from, from the perspective of the society and the culture, Onesimus is still a slave. And even worse, he's, he's a runaway slave. He still has no legal status or protections. And last week when we talked about this um, from Philemon's side, you know, we, we said, okay, well, you know, Paul tells Philemon he should be reconciled to Onesimus. And probably forgiving Onesimus would have had some financial cost to Philemon. And certainly Philemon had to change the way he thought about his former slave. But in all of this, Philemon still had the upper hand, so to speak, Right? After all, he's still the master. As far as we know, he didn't do anything wrong. That's not quite the case with Onesimus. It would be much more difficult for Onesimus to seek out reconciliation. He was the one, as far as we know, who had wronged Philemon. That's possibly why Paul had to offer to pay back any debts. And even though Philemon is a Christian and by all accounts a good man, the laws and customs of the time meant that Onesimus faced a very real possibility of being punished when he returns. So he really has no control over how Philemon might treat him. Under Roman law, he's still the property of another person. You can easily imagine Onesimus mulling this over as he's on the journey back. Will Philemon punish me? Will he reject Paul's appeal? Will I be you know, sold because of my disobedience? Or will something even worse happen? I mean, think about it. How tempting would it be for Onesimus to abandon the journey and just make another runaway? And this time for good. And just leave behind Philemon and Paul. And try again. Start, start a new life somewhere else. Of course, this is all guessing a bit. We, we don't know his actual thoughts. But what we do know is that he did make the entire journey back. He did return to Philemon. 
What sustained him as he journeyed home? What maintained his resolve? Certainly the grace of God did. And I suppose his past experience with Philemon maybe gave him some hope for a favorable reception. But I think Onesimus also had the added confidence of knowing that he holds a letter. A letter written by his master's good friend. A letter from none other than the Apostle Paul. In other words, Onesimus is not returning to Philemon merely as a slave. And neither is he returning to Philemon alone. He has an advocate. He has a mediator. He has the security of knowing that Paul has offered to plead on his behalf. Look at verse 17 again. You, you see that Paul says, So, Philemon, if you consider me your partner, receive him, receive Onesimus, as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all, or owes you anything, charge that to my account. See, it's not on his own credentials that Onesimus is being reconciled to Philemon. It's also on the credentials of Paul. Onesimus is to be welcomed and accepted, not only for his own sake, but also for the sake of the one who has pleaded on his behalf. This is a wonderful illustration of what God has done for us in the gospel. What Paul does for Onesimus is an imitation of what Christ has done for all of us. We also do not approach God on our own credentials. We are not reconciled to God because of our own good works because of our own righteousness, or we because we can pay back whatever we owe to God. We don't earn God's approval. You see, in our sin, we have incurred a debt towards God, a debt that we cannot repay. And this debt is unpayable because our sin is against a God who is wholly pure, wholly righteous, wholly loving, a God who is infinitely worthy and perfect in every way. Now someone may ask, well, how come God can't just forgive us? He's God. You know, we can't hurt him. Why doesn't he just forgive us? And the answer is that in some way he does. But what is often forgotten is that forgiveness always has a cost. And that cost is always borne by the one doing forgiving. If I borrow thousand dollars from Pastor Sam and I blew it on some investment that turns out to be not so great. And I say, oh, sorry, Sam, I can't pay it back. They, what if I just, you know, preach a couple of times for NBC? Will that come right? <laughs> you know? If Sam chooses to forgive me, right, that, that forgiveness is free to me. I don't have to pay back a thousand dollars, but Pastor Sam is short a thousand dollars in his bank account. The one forgiving does the pain. And that's, that's what God has done in sending his son for our sake. In Christ, God has put the cost of forgiveness upon himself. See, just as Paul was not afraid to identify himself with Onesimus, it says Onesimus is my own heart, I'm sending my own heart back to you. So in the same way, Jesus is not ashamed to identify with us. He is not afraid to call us his brothers and sisters, as Hebrews 2 tells us. Hebrews 2, verse 17 says this, Therefore he, that is Christ, 
had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. This means that Jesus took on flesh so that he could serve as our perfect representative before God. He did this so that our sin, our debt, would be charged to his account. And this debt, this sin, Christ carried to the cross. And on the cross, he bore the fullness of God's wrath against the fullness of our sin. Because of that, our sin is paid for. Our debt has been canceled. The cross of Christ is what it looks like for God to forgive our sin. However, it's not only that the debt has been paid. Right? Paul did not just want Philemon to forgive Onesimus and then leave it at that. Just go back to life as usual. No, Paul asked for more. He wanted Philemon to receive Onesimus as he would receive Paul himself. He wanted Philemon to treat Onesimus the same way that he would treat Paul. Now, last week we talked about how this example of Paul teaches us that we are to receive one another as we would receive Christ himself. Right? Just as uh, Paul wanted Philemon to receive Onesimus, he would receive Paul. So, so we should receive each other, treat each other as we would treat Christ. And that's one of the applications of the gospel to our lives. And as transformative as that is for how we treat one another, we see an even more amazing picture of the gospel when we view this letter from Onesimus' perspective. You see, not only are we to receive others as we would receive Christ, but God the Father also receives us in the same way that he would receive his Son. Because of what Jesus has done. God the Father looks upon us as he would look upon his beloved Son. And therefore, not only is Christ unashamed to call us his brothers, but also God the Father is unashamed to call us his children. So apart from Christ, we were slaves to sin. We were strangers to God's promises. We were alienated from God and one another. But Christ has paid our debts for us. He has been made like us and made us his people. Like Onesimus, we have a mediator. For Jesus himself pleads to the Father to receive us, even as he would receive him. And this is the good news. This means that no matter what your sin was or is or will be, in Christ you have forgiveness from God. This forgiveness is free for you because it was paid for by Christ. And furthermore, it means that you are no longer lost, but you are part of a new family, a new community. And it's a family that is not for this life only, but for eternity, for forever. Last week, we saw how Paul called upon Philemon to view Onesimus as a brother. And so, um, we too are required to do the same for each other in the church. It's one of the foundational assumptions for Christian reconciliation. 
But looking at this letter from Anismus' perspective, uh, we see a further reason for pursuing forgiveness and reconciliation. You see, sometimes we are the ones that need to seek out forgiveness. Sometimes, maybe even oftentimes, we are the ones who have wronged another, or at least bear a greater part of the blame. It can be hard to ask for forgiveness. It's humbling. It can be intimidating. What if they reject your appeal? What if, what if somebody finds out what I really did or what I'm really like? Will I still be accepted? Well, the Bible clearly teaches that when we do sin against someone, we must confess our sin and seek reconciliation. And we can do this. We can seek this forgiveness from others because the gospel tells us that God has already forgiven us in Christ. This is what gives us the freedom to seek reconciliation and to make things right. Because we are already forgiven in Christ, we don't need to pretend that we, need, we didn't sin. We don't need to make excuses about it. Instead, we can, we can call it what it is. We can say, yes, I, I did do that. Christ died for me. Because we are forgiven in Christ, we can go about the process of asking forgiveness from others, no matter how difficult that process might be. See, the gospel sets us free from the burden of sin and guilt. But that freedom isn't used for nothing. The gospel sets us free, and we use that freedom to begin seeking forgiveness, to reconcile with those that we've wronged, to pursue righteousness, holiness, and love. That's what we see in the letter to Philemon. Although Paul was imprisoned for the gospel, he was free in Christ. And in that freedom, he appealed on behalf of a slave, having no shame in calling Onesimus his own son. Although Onesimus was a slave, he found freedom in Christ. And in that freedom, he sought reconciliation with Philemon. And although Philemon was free, Paul wanted him to use that freedom to show goodness to Onesimus, not out of compulsion, but willingly and for the sake of love. That's why Paul says in verse 8, though I'm bold enough in Christ to command you, to demand for you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. Philemon, I want, I want your goodness to be willingly out of Christian love and not out of compulsion. This is forgiveness that is freely asked for, freely given, and freely received. It's only within the body of Christ that we can find such forgiveness. So as Christians, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we ought to be free in seeking forgiveness from each other. Not because we take it for granted, but because we have the hope of receiving forgiveness from each other, even as we have received forgiveness God. And likewise, when others seek forgiveness from us, let us freely give it. For such is the forgiveness that God has given us through His Son. Some of you may be here today and you may be like Onesimus before he met Paul. 
to God. What I mean by that is that you're still separated from God. You're still trying to find your own way in life. Maybe you feel lost or hopeless. Or maybe things are going pretty well for your life. The scriptures still say that if you do not know God, you are still in the darkness. You're still separated from true fellowship. You're still in slavery to sin. If you are lost, like Onesimus was, then the good news is that you can be found in Christ. In Christ, you will find your sins forgiveness, uh, sins forgiven. In Christ, you will find freedom. In Christ, you will be brought into a new family. Trust Him, and you will find salvation. Others of you may be like Onesimus on a journey back to Philemon. That is, you've believed in the gospel, you've been reconciled to God in Christ. But perhaps God is now calling you to make things right with someone else in your life. Maybe you need to ask someone for forgiveness. Maybe God reminded you of something from even years ago, and you need to make a phone call later on. Maybe it was just something you said or did just this morning. Confess your sin before God and ask forgiveness from those you've wronged. Remember that in Christ, all your sin, past, present, and future, has been paid for by his blood. We are free, therefore, let us use that freedom to be reconciled to one another. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that there is now no condemnation for those who are in your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray that this promise would spur us to freely confess our sin to you. That we would daily set aside the old man and put on the new self that is in Christ. We also ask that we would be a people who seek to be reconciled to each other. Help us not only to forgive others, but also to ask for forgiveness when we sin against them. We pray that you would make your church a light to the nations, that they may see our love and know that we are indeed disciples of your Son, Jesus Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake.